0: I've been spending some time with some verses from the Dhammapada, words which are attributed to the Buddha. And I found this very beautiful set, which I think are appropriate for this time of pandemic. Live in joy, in love, even among those who hate. Live in joy, in health, even among the afflicted. Live in joy, in peace, even among the troubled. Look within, be still, free from fear and attachment, know the sweet joy of the way. When things pile up, when we get overwhelmed, It's so easy to leave our natural state of ease and joy behind and come to this kind of contracted, constricted state. It's even possible that you feel that that's a virtuous thing to do because so many people around you have anxiety or suffering or even death that somehow it would not be right for you to have joy. So let's take a look at all of this. First of all, I want to say that it is appropriate to have joy in the time of difficulty. It's there in the second verse. Live in joy and health even among the afflicted. That's a direct teaching of the Buddha. The whole path of the Buddha really sheds light on how to get unstuck from times like this, from anger, from greed, from delusion of all kinds. So if you're listening to this, if you found a podcast and you're old enough and experienced enough to do something like that, it's probably the case that you know already that even in the midst of life's challenges, we can carry a kind of lightness, pliancy or an openness. Practice should always lead us in that general direction. How is that so? First of all, we have to pay attention to the truth of life as we see it in life, moment by moment. So you won't find the truth of life in fantasizing about the future, and you won't find it in waxing nostalgic about the past and living or dreaming into the past you'll have to look at every moment as it arises as we do in meditation or in a a moment of mindfulness right there is the truth that we need to know to wake up so when we look like that what do we see first of all we see the truth of impermanence you don't have to look very long to see the truth of impermanence when you're in meditating, you see thoughts come and go, feelings come and go, sensations come and go. It's a river of change. And I don't mean that, that you'll be happy for a month and then after that time things will change and your mind state will change. Not like that. It's a much more fine-grained change than that. When you sit and watch the mind, what you see is that it is only a flow of experience a river of experience. You could say that change is all that things are. So we say things are impermanent, and all we mean by that is that they change. And generally speaking, this is a kind of a good news, bad news proposition, like all profound truth. When you like what's happening and when you're grasping after solidification, freeze-framing something, what's working for you at the moment. You don't want this change, so we say that's the suffering of change. It's sunny, and you want it to stay like that for the rest of the year, but you live in Oregon, and that's not what's going to happen, so that's going to change. On the other hand, when you don't like something, you can count on change to make things more workable. You just wait, and they change. Notice when you sit in meditation, watching your experience closely, what it is that you're seeing. The point is not just relaxation. The point is to relax so that you can see something. Your experience then becomes your teacher. So you see this change. And if you look carefully, what you'll notice is that you are not driving that change That's interesting, isn't it? It's happening all on its own. You can sit there, not moving, not strategizing, not planning, not working, and the universe is moving along just fine. You notice that? Your body is breathing you, your nervous system is seeing and knowing and directing the body to keep on living. You notice that support? You can relax in this. It's satisfying. There's a kind of tender joy there just to appreciate all of those things unfolding without your intervention. The other thing that you're witnessing then is that when you're meditating, you might be letting go of the incessant work of maintaining the self Sometimes, not always, but sometimes when we sit in meditation, we're able to stop the building up of what I like to call these days the self-nation, the self-territory, the self-policies, the self-governing, that whole construction and maintenance of the kingdom of self whose primary radio station, as far as I know, is WIFM. What's in it for me? That's a full-time job. And when you sit in meditation and you relax all of that, life just moves through you. And that is a kind of joy. That openness, that spaciousness, that freedom is joy. When we let go of all the energy that we usually spend trying to control everything, everything, to keep ourselves safe and happy, life just kind of bumps along and you can watch that. When you relax your vice-like need to control, you can witness that life is a process of continual transformation. And witnessing that transformation yields a kind of relaxed joy. In fact, it's kind of uh, easy to become habituated to that so that your meditation no longer takes discipline. It's something that you enjoy doing. So much of the fear and the angst that comes along with trying to control it all disappears. And that natural ease and joy that are always kind of humming along in the universe in you, that you are that natural ease and joy. And there's just this space for all of that to shine through. Meditation is actually a fantastic lab for that. You can just pick the simplest meditation instructions that you have, something like put your awareness on the breath and notice the breath, and you can experience all those things I just talked about. You can practice mindfulness. You don't even have to meditate. You can just stop on the path from the way to your barn to your house. You don't have to take somebody else's word for this. You can try it and see for yourself like every other practice. It's not a matter of believing. It's a matter of trying it and see what you think. The Buddhist path is also full of of other tools for uncovering joy. So our experience is largely defined by what we fill our mind with. And the mind will be filled. So the question is, is it happening unintentionally in case, you know, we don't really know what the mind is being filled with, or are we taking responsibility for filling our mind with things that nurture us and that lead us towards ease and joy? So if I fill the mind with compassion, with love, with generosity, we can nurture over time the tendency for the mind to experience joy. And that joy is a support for awakening. So it's a kind of self-evolving process. As we experience joy, we start to relax. We defend less. We rely less on trying to manipulate the universe of our experience. And in doing that, we settle into this kind of simple way of relating to life. We let more things just be. We notice how things are already... This is not just an antidote to our constant creation of suffering. It's actually more like a medicine that over time heals the mind because it shifts the mind to seeing this more whole, more balanced truth. And that balanced truth is that there's always suffering. But in the midst of suffering, there is also always joy, always if you're stuck or feel that you're stuck and experience a continuous stream of sadness or despair, you should get curious about that. You should get suspicious. You should take a look for yourself. Because if that's happening, I think that it's possible that what's going on is that you've disconnected from intimacy with your own truth. You've stepped into a fantasy world of thought about the past, or you've stepped into a story-based existence about the future. When we do that, we're like uh, an old man in an insane asylum who's sitting outside on a sunny day on a bench, his lunch is on a tray nearby him, the garden is very beautiful, it's peaceful, people are walking around, his body is more or less functioning. He has all of these things that we might say are blessings that many people in the world would describe as privilege, but he isn't feeling it because he can't connect it with it. He isn't experiencing it. He's lost in the past because of his maybe dementia. He's wandering in the future because of maybe dementia. So he's not able to notice that right here, right now, he's actually fine. And so he misses what I'd call the blessing of this moment, of his truth, his life as it is. So remember now the Buddha said, live in joy in love, even among those who hate. Live in joy and health, even among the afflicted. Live in joy and peace, even among the troubled. Look within, be still, free from fear and attachment. Know the sweet joy of the way. So the way he's referring to here, of course, is the path, the Buddhist path. So one of the things that I like about these verses is that he didn't just tell us to live in joy. He actually said how to do it. That is so generous. That is so kind. This is an enlightened being giving us an instruction. That's an act of generosity, right? He said, look within, look within. So we should pay attention to that. What does it mean to look within? It means so many things, and it's good, I think, to contemplate this and work with it over time. First of all, I think he probably meant it's good to meditate and see how things are from your own direct experience perspective. So to do that, you have to let go of the stories, you have to let go your lens of conditioning, or at the very least, you want to notice how your conditioning is affecting your experience in this moment. So let's say, for example, that you're meditating and you feel some joy arise in the body. comes up and you feel it. And then maybe you notice that behind that, after being saturated with that for a moment, you begin to feel a little guilty about that. So fair enough, maybe you were taught that it's wrong to experience joy in the body. Maybe you have concocted a story that to feel joy in the body is some level of evil or shameful and so you cut off that joy and you can see yourself do that in meditation. Or maybe you bury it with criticism or guilt and you can see that transpire in meditation. So if there is a story when you're looking you can actually drop it. The truth is you don't even need to drop it. You could just stop adding sentences to it. You could stop pouring gasoline on it. It would eventually, and by eventually, I don't mean in an hour, I mean in a few seconds or minutes, it would dissolve. And if you did this enough, you'd begin to notice the simple satisfaction of just being, which includes naturally arising joy. It might be small at first. it might be subtle, I'm not saying you'll be flooded with bliss, though you might be. So you should notice, how did that come about? You were sitting there in meditation. What were you doing, and probably more importantly, or as importantly, what were you not doing when that joy was arising? I'm not talking about analyzing that during meditation, thinking about where it came from and all that. I'm just talking about looking like you watch a bug on the sidewalk, just looking and noticing. I think too that this look within is also an instruction for not looking outside ourselves for joy and the obstacles to joy. This is a matter of refuge if we look at it this way. To explore this during your day, you could notice when you're craving some experience, say, like you want a sense of stability or safety or whatever. You're probably trying to get that from the outside. That's what we do. You're not alone on that score, I assure you. So maybe you're sitting at your computer shopping at Amazon. You're relying on your partner to make you happy. You might even be relying on an animal to make you happy. Or maybe you're depending on a pizza that can't be delivered during the COVID restrictions, and so you're feeling disappointed or upset or frustrated. From all of that, looking outside for the sources of happiness and joy or the causes of happiness and joy, comes a mechanism, a tendency to blame, to complain. Those things, blaming, complaining, that sort of thing, these are not a support for joy they fill the mind with dissatisfaction. They actually plant seeds and those seeds blossom into despair. And this strengthens our attachment. Now we feel like I really have to have this thing. I have to have that compliment. I have to have that attention. I can't be happy without it. So we have just fully and in a very wholesale way, given the outside world, which is really, let's face it, not that reliable, not that dependable. We have given them the power over our joy. That whole thing also fuels something else. It fuels aversion. So something arises in our experience and we think, I don't want this, and we reject it. This even happens in a kind of absurd way if we back up and look at it for things like the pandemic. I don't want it. I want it to go away. I want to go visit my friends. And then I'll be happy. That's a story. That's the nature of the story. If then. It's refuge in an imaginary situation. It's refuge in an imaginary friend because probably you are alone sitting watching your mind. So let's look at the truth. This is a pandemic. We are not in charge. That's disturbing to us. We could just do what we can. We could just wash our hands and wear masks and stay at home a little more. And we could relax with all of that. We could catch up on our projects if we wanted to or do nothing, which is a really incredibly rare opportunity. All right, the next instruction is be still. So what does that mean? It might mean to push the pause button on our busyness. This busyness is our habituated effort, mountains of it in every human life. It's all designed to keep us safe and happy. It's designed to fix everything, everything To worry and to resist with all our might the fact that we are not in control, and somehow we see that and we take note of it and we notice it and it makes us crazy. And underneath all of that, which you can see if the mind is very still, is this thing I call background anxiety that is actually the fear of death, the fear of ending. Ending forever, we think. That's a story. Maybe physical death, we'll have for sure, but this also includes the death of the ego or the death of any kind of thing which is destined to change. So we could say this is the resistance to the truth of how things are. We and all of the universe and all of our experience are made of change. There are other truths too. We don't quite exist in the way that we are convinced that we do. I'm this body and all that. We're convinced that we're separate and we're not. We're convinced of so many things and all of those things, when we resist them rather than just witnessing them and seeing that they're so in our experience, when we resist, there's a sense of angst around that. Being still, I think, is also an instruction to stop continuously turning the wheels of doing and just sometimes be. Because right there, after maybe a little tiny wave of anxiety for having done nothing, is often joy. We're constantly covering it up. That's why we don't see it. We cover it up with busyness and with our compulsion to go and to do all the time. And the very thing, and I feel so tender-hearted towards this piece of it, the very thing that we're doing, all that going and doing to accomplish, the happiness that we want The joy that we long for is actually already right there if we just stop and let it arise. The next line is free from fear and attachment. So this is saying that when we do pause, we're letting go of our compulsion to grasp and push away. And those two things are the source of great suffering. The freedom is letting go of the continuous effort to manipulate and to control. The freedom is the relaxation. The freedom is what arises naturally when we stop. Meditation is great for this. Now, the mind needs something to do, so we give it this little busy monkey job, you know, of watching the breath. We pin it loosely to the breath and we say, okay, this is a little boring, but it's not too hard. It might be fun. You watch the in-breath, and then there's a space where it's not in or out, and then it's out-breath, and then there's the space where you're not breathing in yet. It's pretty simple. And if you do that, and if you get a little bit of stability, you can actually get to know your own mind. So what happens when you do that? Well, you've done some meditation, probably if you're listening to this podcast, you see a lot of things and you learn a lot of things about your mind and those things tell you a whole lot about your life. Everything you need to know right between the top of your head and the bottom of your feet. The first thing I see is that I'm a control freak. So the instruction was just breathe, normal breath. And what do I do? I try to make it the Buddha breath, some big imaginary story I made up that it should be stable and full and balanced and all those things. That's not in the instruction. So I discover first three or four breaths, I'm a controlling person. Then maybe I let that go. If I don't, maybe I blame myself. And then the inner critic kicks in and there's a story that bursts into uh, view you're not good at this, maybe you shouldn't meditate, you don't have a chance of becoming calm or still or kind or wise, blah, 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 and then maybe that dies out. And then what do you see in your meditation? I don't know, maybe you see, I need ice cream. Not just regular ice cream, I need that gelato we had in Paris in 1982. Oh, the breath. You go back to the breath. What else do you see? Suddenly I'm thinking I should be doing something else. I should be doing some work. I should be, let's see what's on my docket today. And then I think, oh, I forget. I lost my job. Oh, no. What am I going to do? I'll lose everything. I'll starve. I won't be able to help my family. I'll probably die. I'll end up in... Oh, wait a minute. Go back to the breath. What's the truth of right now? Oh, I'm not dead. <laughs> I'm not dead yet. All right. Actually, I feel pretty good. It's sunny outside. I can hear pleasant sounds in the air. Somebody somewhere is baking bread. It's quite nice. You follow the breath a little bit and then ah, my right knee is killing me. It's killing me. It's killing me. Well, it's not really killing me, but I want to move it. Which reminds me, moving and getting things done and fixing things that I need to get my hair dyed because the roots are showing and it's not the same color as the long part of my hair. Where did the breath go? What did you witness? Who's in control? Who's watching all that? Where does that stuff you watch come from? How much of your actual life, breathing, sound of birds, fresh air, your own heartbeat, how much of that life will just go by unfelt, unnoticed, unexperienced? When you bring awareness back to the breath, it's so simple. You're just here, you feel some sensations, maybe warmth, maybe hunger or no hunger, maybe the weight of your body on the floor, Maybe you hear sounds. That's joy. There's ease right there. And if you don't stop and you don't take time to be still and you never stop the spinning wheels, you'll miss it. That's all. You will have had the very thing that you wanted and you won't get it. You'll actually miss it. You got a present and you never unwrapped it because you were busy worrying about how you might not get any presents in the future or how you didn't get enough in the past. So you actually had the gift of joy right there. It was with you. It was you. And you couldn't see. The last line of the verse is, Know the sweet joy of the way. The way, the path, is this inward looking and learning. Meditation or pausing for a moment, turning inward to see what's true. The stillness. The pause. You can do this. You can stop. You can listen right now. You can let go of all of the doing and just see what's true. Anyone can see this. Just relax a little and a little bit more and a little bit more. Take your time, no hurry. Breathe. Let all those stories and self-talk rest. Maybe they come, maybe they don't. If they come, they'll go. Breathe. You look and see what's right there.